Welcome to The Savvy Sauce, where we have practical chats for intentional living. I'm your host, Laura Duggar, and I'm so glad you're here. Today's message is not intended for little ears. We'll be discussing some adult themes, and I want you to be aware before you listen to this message. I am thrilled to introduce you to our sponsor, Windshape Marriage. Their weekend retreats will strengthen your marriage, and you will enjoy this gorgeous setting, delicious food, and quality time with your spouse. To find out more, visit them online at windshapemarriage.org. That's W-I-N-S-H-A-P-E marriage.org. Thanks for your sponsorship. If you listened to our last episode, you were with us to hear from one of the co-authors of Married Sex, and today we get to hear from the other one. Deborah Faleda is a licensed professional counselor who specializes in relationship, sex, dating, and marriage issues. She teamed up with Pastor Gary Thomas to co-author the book called Married Sex, and her episode was our second most popular one from all of 2021. She has such a balanced approach to encourage how we can grow in intimacy, both above and beneath the sheets. Here's our chat. Welcome to the Savvy Sauce, Deborah. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Well, I'm so excited about your newest book that you co-authored with Gary Thomas. And can you just tell us a little bit more about what sets this book apart from other books on sexual intimacy and marriage? Yeah. Well, the new book is called Married Sex, and I have to chuckle a little because it's such a direct title. I mean, there's no qualms about what it's about. So that's one of the things I'm excited about, to be honest. It's just such a direct book about sexual intimacy in marriage. And really what sets this book apart is the unique collaboration between a man and a woman. And the beauty of this co-authorship with Gary Thomas is that we're coming at it from a place of expertise more than a place of experience. So it's not just his personal journey with his wife, my personal journey with my husband. It's it's more about our expertise. I'm a I'm a licensed therapist, I'm a relationship expert. He is a pastor and spiritual writer who has worked with so many different couples. So we've got this different unique lens which he sees through theology, I see through psychology. He's a man, I'm a woman. He's in his 50s. Him and his wife have been married for almost as long as I've been alive. And my husband and I are in our 30s. So we've got these two unique perspectives coming together for this collaboration that I think just kind of goes from one spectrum to the other and really will help people no matter what type of issues that they're struggling with in their sex life, or even if they're just wanting to take their sex life to the next level. Well, and I completed the resource in preparation for our chat today, and it is fantastic. And I'll tell you one thing that I appreciate is how you emphasize throughout the book the importance of prioritizing the wife's orgasm. Yeah. I think for many years, that's been overlooked to the detriment of marriages. So that really stood out. Yeah. So many books in the past, without even intending to, 
have had a male centric focus, you know, and, and kind of reiterate the underlying message that isn't true, which is that sex is primarily about the man. And here's kind of what it looks like in a Christian marriage, but that's not biblical and it's not healthy. And so we're so excited about what we hope is a balanced perspective for male and female, uh, a perspective that they can both come to the table and learn and grow and receive. And so we're really excited to to get that out there. And I'm so glad to hear that that was one of the things that stood out to you. And why do you believe that married sex is one of God's best ideas? And how can adopting a biblical perspective of sex redefine how we value it in our marriages? Well, Gary says this so well in one of his chapters called The Song of Songs. And and, in really that chapter, it's the first chapter of the book. And it's all about why sex is so unique. And in that chapter, he he really dives deep about how out of all the, the books in the Bible, there isn't one book that's related to just one specific topic, except for the Song of Songs. I mean, prayer is important and faith is important. And, you know, there's so many important foundational truths in scripture. But none of them have a chapter dedicated completely to that topic except for sex. All throughout the Song of Songs, we see this beautiful, intricate relationship. And through that relationship, we we really get to see God's heart for this subject. And I think so many times in the church, we've approached sex kind of like a say no to drugs campaign, you know? Don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And then all of a sudden you get married and boom, you're supposed to just be able to receive the gift of sex with no issues, no problem, no shame. But we don't realize that how we set ourselves up for the conversation, talking so much about what not to do before marriage and so little about the joys of sex within marriage can really set people up for some confusion and allow them to kind of feel like they're stuck in their sex life. So so if anything, we want people to really see just theologically God's heart for this topic. Because when you can really believe that sex is good, not what you've been taught about sex, not what what you've experienced in sex, not the things that have been taught to you by people, by, you know, well-intentioned people even, But when you can see God's heart for the subject, I think it motivates you to want to make the most of this really important, beautiful gift. Absolutely. And I think that's a great place to start with the foundation of laying that theology, because that's going to spill over into the freedom that we experience, like everything else, when we turn to the Lord and ask for his Holy Spirit to fill our marriage, he's going to produce the overflow. And you talk about that so well in your book. But also as a Christian therapist, you see married couples who are dissatisfied with both their marriage and their sex life. And these two areas are very interwoven and interconnected. So if there's a couple listening who's in this situation where they're dissatisfied with both, where do you recommend they begin? You know, I always say that what happens above the sheets is vital 
to what happens underneath the sheets. And what I mean by that is what happens in your relationship, in your emotional connection, in your intimacy, because that sets the foundation for what happens in your sex life. And I think sex and relationship are so integral. The health of your sex life is fueled by the health of your relationship. But I think many times people don't always understand that connection. And so they see a problem in their sex life and they narrow it down to a problem in their sex life. And they get discontent or bitter or discouraged thinking that this is just how it is. It's not going to get any better. There's no hope. But not realizing that many times, not all the time, But many times a struggle in your sex life can be alleviated by working on the health and quality of your relationship. I worked with a couple who were really struggling with their sex life. I mean, they were not having sex and they were starting to feel discouraged and bitter and blaming each other. Whose fault is it that we're not having sex in the relationship? And so when I met with them, Upon our initial session, the theme was, we have a good relationship, but we don't have a good sex life. But what I realized is that the the phrase good relationship means different things to different people. Maybe from their perspective, they had a good relationship, but what are they comparing it to? Maybe they're comparing it to the relationships they saw their parents have. You know, maybe their parents were in a toxic relationship. Maybe there was arguing and fighting and and bitterness and, you know, loud noises and shouting and screaming. And so when they look at their relationship, they have a quote unquote good marriage. But really this couple was functioning as roommates. They they got along because they hardly interacted emotionally. They didn't have a deep emotional intimacy. They shared schedules. They knew where the other person was. They, they were kind of managing the kids throughout the day but they weren't emotionally connected. And so when they came to me and said, we have a good relationship and I start digging underneath the surface a little bit, we realized together, you know what? What we thought was a good relationship is actually a relationship with a lot of holes, a lot of missing pieces, a lot of lack of intimacy. And when we began to work on those aspects of their marriage, their sex life followed suit. And so throughout this book, we don't just challenge you to work on your sex life because just working on your sex life alone, taking all the tips and techniques and strategies and positions that we offer throughout the book and putting them on a relationship that is struggling or weak is only going to be a temporary fix at best because long lasting sexual satisfaction has to be rooted in the health of your marriage. And so we make sure to tackle all of those points to help you be able to have the best sex life possible. I love what you're saying. And I see it as a both and situation where both the sex life is incredibly important to the marriage and quality conversation and emotional connection is also mandatory. So when you have a couple who they have their walls up, they're at odds with one another, one of them wants to work on the emotional side of the marriage and the other wants to work on the sexual side of the marriage as well, especially if they're in a low sex or no sex marriage, 
who do you advise to make the first move? Whoever's willing to make the first move, really. I mean, (laughs) because if you work on your marriage, it's going to impact your sex life. You know, in, in in that situation, it's hard to know who, who is more motivated and who is more resistant. And so for each couple, it's going to look a little bit differently. But for example, if you're the husband who is saying, I, I want my wife to be more interested in sex, well, one move that you can take is asking her what would make sex more enjoyable for her. How can I please you? What turns you on? How can I connect more with your heart to make this an enjoyable process for you? Is there something in our marriage that is getting in the way of you wanting to be close to me? Take the first step, no matter what side you're on, by opening dialogue, opening communication, getting with your spouse, not not accusatory, you know, not attacking, here's what you're doing, but help me understand what can we do together to take our relationship to the next level? What can we do together to grow? Where are we stuck? Because the conversation is what's going to pave the way for better interactions in your sex life and better interactions in your relationship. So who should take the first step in that? Whoever is motivated, whoever is able, because when you begin to change, your marriage begins to change. When you begin to shift the conversation, your marriage begins to shift. When you become intentional, things start to get unstuck in your marriage. And so, you know, if I was your counselor, I would say I'm willing to work with whoever is interested and ready and motivated to do the work. And and let's start there because it will look different for each relationship. But I think the key is taking that next step. Let's take a quick break to hear a message from our sponsor. I'm so excited to share today's sponsor, WinShape Marriage, with you. WinShape Marriage is a fantastic ministry that helps couples prepare, strengthen, and if needed, even save their marriage. WinShape Marriage is grounded on the belief that the strongest marriages are the ones that are nurtured, even if it seems like things are going smoothly. That way, they'll be stronger if they do hit a bump along their marital journey. Through their weekend retreats, WinShape Marriage invites couples to enjoy time away to simply focus on each other. These weekend retreats are hosted within the beautiful refuge of WinShape Retreat, perched in the mountains of Rome, Georgia, which is just a short drive from Atlanta, Birmingham, and Chattanooga. While you and your spouse are there, you'll be well-fed, well-nurtured, and well-cared for. During your time away in this beautiful place, you and your spouse will learn from expert speakers and explore topics related to intimacy, overcoming challenges, improving communication, and so much more. I've stayed on site at Windshape before, and I can attest to their generosity, food, and content. You will be so grateful you went. To find an experience that's right for you and your spouse, head to their website, windshapemarriage.org. That's W-I-N-S-H-A-P-E marriage.org. Thanks for your sponsorship. I'm assuming that there are a lot more low sex and no sex marriages than we're aware of. And I'm specifically even thinking of Christian marriages. So what has been your experience with that and what are you seeing? There is a lot of low sex to no sex marriages, more than people really realize. And I think part of it is when you're in a low sex to no sex marriage, you might feel ashamed or embarrassed. You might not want to bring it up. So we don't even know the amount 
because even with surveys and polls and data, there's a group of people who aren't going to engage in those things because they're, they don't want to confess. They don't want to acknowledge their situation. Maybe they're feeling ashamed or embarrassed. And there's a term that was coined by Dr. Carnes called sexual anorexia. And it's a term that he uses to describe marriages who are truly starving from a lack of sex in their marriage. They're, it's, a, it's an aspect that's become non-existent. And we see that happen for many different reasons in different marriages. For some people, it's because of outside influences that are harming the relationship, such as pornography, infidelity, abuse, past trauma. For other relationships, we see a low sex threshold because of the false beliefs or narratives they have about sex. Maybe there's a feeling of shame or guilt. For other couples, it's truly a lack of prioritizing. They're running around. They're so busy. They're both engaged in so many different things, volunteering here, working all these hours taking care of the kids, running them to soccer and then school and then volleyball and then tennis and then Bible study. And, and their lives are so full of everything else but each other. And that slowly begins to happen over time where sex just becomes a lack of a priority in the relationship. It gets put on the back burner. So there's many different reasons that this happens. And I think the key is to really just reflect and, and ask not how much are we having sex, but why are we having sex this many times? And what is preventing us from having sex more? And are we satisfied with this amount of sex in our relationship? I think instead of just focusing on the number, I think it's even more important to focus on the why and the, the underlying motivation. Because if it's not a healthy motivation, if it's motivated by busyness, or pain, or shame, or frustration, or bitterness, then it's not honoring your marriage, and it's not honoring God. And so getting to the big picture, getting to the root of the why, I think is such an important conversation for couples to have. Talking about sex, some people can find that harder than actually having sex with one another, but it is vitally important. And one theme of your book is that we need to be talking about sex in order to yeah. enjoy all of the goodness that God has planned for us. So how do we talk about it as we also hold it sacred? You know, sex within marriage is sacred. And so there's no, there's, to me, there's no such thing as talking about it in a way that isn't sacred when you're talking about it in the context of a marriage, when you're talking about it with your spouse, it's just like any other conversation. And so I'm grateful for my career and my education and experience as a counselor, because through my education and through my experience of becoming a licensed counselor and working with couples, it also helped me to gain confidence and familiarity with the terms that you need to be able to say. There's grown men and women who have a hard time saying certain words, certain anatomy, because they're not used to it. And when you can't use the vocabulary, it really limits you from being able to talk about sex. But you don't have to jump right in. That's what I want people to know. The conversation is important, 
but you don't have to dive right in head first. I mean, start in the shallow end. Start by having an easy conversation with your spouse on, you know, your level of enjoyment. Is there something I can do that makes you enjoy sex more? Is there something that I do that maybe you don't really enjoy? Let's start talking about this. Let's start opening up a little bit more. In one of the chapters in the book, I give you an outline and and strategies and a point-by-point approach on how to talk about sex with your spouse, because I don't want to assume that that's easy for everybody. And I lay out what to do and what not to do. And one of the things I talk about is start with affirmation. I think a lot of times we're motivated to talk about sex in our frustration. So maybe it's been a a significant period of time and one of you is like really wanting to be intimate and getting tired of the fact that your spouse hasn't brought it up. And, And then maybe out of frustration, you speak about your sex life. Or maybe your spouse does something or doesn't do something in bed that you are like, I want them to do this, but they're not doing it. I'm not feeling this the way I want to feel. And out of frustration, you speak. But I want the, the, the motivation not to be out of frustration, but out of love and out of a place of companionship, out of a place of communication of we're trying to get on the same page. So start with affirmation. Start with building your spouse up and telling them what you love and appreciate about them, setting the table for the conversation about sex. I I think about it in in the way of like a bank account. You've got to make deposits before you make withdrawals. And it's not just about sex, but but if you want to talk about sex and correct things or or change something in your relationship, that's considered a withdrawal, an emotional withdrawal. So you want to make sure you're depositing into the bank of your spouse with words of affirmation and encouragement and connection before you make those withdrawals. And that's a really important thing. And I think a lot of people set themselves up for despair because there's nothing in the bank And they're trying to make these emotional withdrawals and complaints and criticisms and critiques. So you really want to kind of focus on affirmations first and then move into the conversation about where do we go from here? And I outline a lot of these things for you point by point to help you on the journey of having this conversation with your spouse. And Deborah, one chapter you wrote is titled, Your Body is a Wonderland. So what are some of your favorite highlights from this chapter? That chapter was so fun to write. And let me tell you, writing the chapter was so much easier than reading it out loud in the form of the audiobook because you don't realize how explicit a chapter is until you actually have to speak the words out loud. But the reason I thought that chapter was so important is because it's giving you the anatomy, it's giving you the guide of touch here rub here, do this, try that, what feels good, and how to make it feel even better. There, there's, It's almost like the, the manual. I think a lot of couples go into sex without really knowing what's realistic or healthy or good because their view of sex has either been shaped by pornography or it's been shaped by nothing at all. You know, maybe they don't have any understanding. Maybe they don't have any sort of idea of how do you even make this pleasurable? I worked with a couple who 
didn't really have good education or knowledge about sex. So when they got married, they were trying different things to get the other turned on. And those things they were trying weren't working. They didn't realize there were so many other things that you could do, so many other places you could touch, so many other ways that you could try having sex. And it was like revolutionary for them to open their eyes to all of these different techniques because they didn't have that underlying knowledge. And so that chapter was fun because it just really dives deep into the anatomy of a woman, the anatomy of a man, and specifically the sexual anatomy. What are the different parts of the body that bring the most pleasure? And how can we as a spouse understand our spouse's body? Because our bodies are different and they're unique and we have to do a better job of understanding how our spouse works, but also understanding how we work so that we can communicate those things to our spouse. So that's kind of the gist of that chapter is going deep. It's your manual to kind of help you figure out how to get your bodies ready for sex. And it gives even little practical tips where you say, women, do yourself a huge favor and grab a handheld mirror. Yeah. You know, I I think sometimes we feel like there's this shame or that it's wrong to know how my body works. You know, I I think the things we've experienced in the past, the, the messages we've received from the past, maybe fill us with some sense of shame. So I found that many women don't even know what gets them going. They don't know what works for them. They're not really sure. And I talk about grabbing a handheld mirror because if you think about it, your sexual anatomy is not something that's visible to you as a woman. I mean, you can't really see down there. And and the problem is not enough women take the time to study and educate themselves and actually know where are these folds and what are they and what what is each part called and how can I explain these things to my husband? Which part feels the best for me? What pressure feels the best? What type of stroke feels the best? To be able to, with your spouse, talk through these things, learn these things, guide your spouse, lead your spouse. There's nothing wrong with that. And in fact, you're doing them a favor. You're honoring God because you're helping your spouse learn how to pleasure and please you. And there is something so important about that. And so I I just challenge the women out there to really get to know their bodies well so that they can explain and communicate to their spouse what feels good and how to make them feel pleasured. And Gary's going to be a future guest as well. And we'll cover his chapter that he wrote about what gets men going. But you wrote the chapter called What Gets Her Going. And I love how you open with these words. You said, men, I did you quite the favor. So considering the many couples that you've counseled and surveyed and heard from, I thought it was pretty profound to hear your summary that every single woman you spoke with affirmed that in order to arouse her body, you need to begin by arousing her heart. Absolutely. So how can husbands actually arouse their wife's heart? And then also awaken and arouse her body. You know, here's the gist. If you want to arouse my body, you've got to start by arousing my heart. What does that mean? Well, 
what does the word arouse even mean? It means an awakening, you know, an awakening of something, an awakening of desire, you know, moving from a place of rest and slumber to a place of vigilance and excitement. That's what awakening something is. And all of the women I spoke to had this theme in common. You've got to get to my heart first because my heart is what begins to excite my body. When my heart feels connected and secure and safe, then so does my body. The two go hand in hand. And what does that mean? Well, we're really talking about the type of emotional exchanges you have throughout the day. Like, how are you setting yourself up for that emotional safety, that emotional security, that emotional connection that is so important for a woman? That intimate connection that you have in your relationship is what gets you ready for sex more often than not. Now, I'm not saying this happens, you know, 100% of the time. There's times in marriage where you might not feel extremely close emotionally in that moment, but you know that you're not looking at the last 24 hours. You're looking at the history of your marriage and the love and connection you have in your relationship, and that's what helps you get to that place. But in general, the arousal of the heart is such an important and overlooked part of the sexual relationship. And so I kind of give you some practical things of what does that look like? Leaving a note for your wife, sending a text message, making time for each other. When you see each other for the first time after a long day, be deliberate about walking in the door, going straight to your wife and using those first five to 10 minutes to just embrace her, look her in the eyes, ask her about her day. You know, what can I do to help today? What was your day like? How is work for you? What's going on in your world? Making that emotional connection paves the way for physical connection. So that I think was one of the big takeaways is you've got to work on arousing her heart before you arouse her body. And I know that you even give helpful disclaimers like this. This is not a manipulation tool. I think you say this is not a pay to play situation, but it's just a wise way to grow in expressing our love. Yeah. It's not as though you say, well, I did the dishes after dinner. So now I expect sex. I mean, this isn't a pay to play exchange. This is you investing in your marriage, investing in the heart of your spouse, because when you can arouse the heart of your spouse, it begins to arouse their body. It begins to arouse their connection, awakens their desire for you. And it's such an important part of a healthy marriage relationship. Yes. And then moving into arousing her body, a huge part for women, they'll say that there are so many thoughts in their minds and it takes them a while to declutter that, but also they'll put pressure on themselves or have a little bit of anxiety if they feel like they're taking too long or their husband is disinterested. But when they do not feel rushed and they know that foreplay is not a chore for their spouse, it can help her relax. And more likely, she's going to experience orgasm when there is excellent and extended foreplay just for the couples that are interested in being connected sexually it makes a lot of sense that when you prioritize your wife's enjoyment as well, she's likely going to be more interested in sex. Right. 100%. And the next section of that chapter really talks about what does it look like to arouse her body and, and what are the different 
parts of the body that are kind of being neglected. I mean, I talk about the erogenous zones and, and those are the areas in the body that you don't always think about as sexual parts of the body, you know, from things like holding hands to massage, to kissing, to hugs, to gentle strokes. Like these are the type of things that you want to focus on. And what about certain areas like the back of the neck, the inside of the elbows, the back of the legs? You know, Gary says that in in writing this book, he found through his research that women's skin is up to 10 times more sensitive than a man's. You know, all of the, the, the sensations that she can feel in her skin. And what does it look like to really take advantage of touching those areas, helping your wife get pleasure? And, and help bring her to a place where the foreplay is a huge part of the sexual experience. It's, it's the buildup. Spending time on the buildup will help your wife have a better experience. And in the book, you'll find a play-by-play guide. Like, this is what you can try. And you can touch these places in this way. And we're not even, we haven't even gotten into the sexual zones yet. This is all just the preliminary stuff that you can do and how important it is to understand these things. Because exactly like you said and what we say in the book, when your wife is enjoying sex, she's going to want sex more. I mean, that is just human nature. When you are enjoying something, you're going to want to experience it more. And I talked to the women too a little bit later on in the chapter of what gets you going, because there's also things that we can do as women to help ourselves get to a place where we're enjoying sex even more. And just one more comment on the foreplay. I think it's helpful for men to understand with females' bodies this applies to both genders. There's something called vasocongestion, and we think of it when you are blushing, that's the blood rushing to your cheeks. But with genital vasocongestion, that's when the blood flows to our genitals. And for a man, that's more noticeable because you see his erection of his penis. But then for the female, that foreplay makes the vasocongestion build up so that if it is longer and drawn out, the experience of climax is much more intense, but that takes yeah. time. Yeah, that takes time. And, you know, the clitoris is the equivalent and essentially of a male penis in the sense that that's the area where the blood really rushes and that's the area that gets the most aroused. And and that's kind of the sign that you're ready for penetration, you're ready for orgasm, but it does not happen as quickly and easily as it does for a man. It takes time. And for a woman, like I outline in the book, it takes much more indirect touch before direct touch. In fact, direct touch can actually be uncomfortable for a woman versus direct touch for a man is usually comfortable because he needs direct touch to get to a place of arousal. Whereas a woman needs much more indirect touch before direct touch. So when we're looking at the sexual experience and making it the best it can be, it it makes sense that we tend to struggle with this because for a man, he's going to do what works for him. And for a woman, she wants to do what works for her because that's your measuring stick in your mind. It's like, well, this is what gets me turned on. So I'm going to apply the same strategies, but that's where 
so many couples find themselves stuck because the strategies that work for your body aren't the strategies that work for your spouse's body. Not only that, the other caveat I love to add and I, and I talk about throughout the book is sometimes the strategies that work for the general population of women don't work for your wife and vice versa for your husband. So, so even though we outline all of these details of what you can do and where you can touch and how, we make it exceptionally clear that you need to check in with your spouse. You need to know what works for your spouse. You need to be talking just because a book says rub here doesn't mean your wife is going to want you to rub there. That might not work for her. And so really talking through these things point by point, body part by body part, stroke by stroke and saying, what feels good for you? What what does this make you feel? How does this feel? What type of pressure do you need? Where can I touch you that feels the best? And really beginning to have these conversations openly and honestly is going to just empower you so much. Yes, absolutely. And I love how you make that so clear to get to know one another's bodies, to know them specifically, not just the body in general. There is an exciting project taking place behind the scenes right now, and I would love to invite you to participate. I will give you more details as I'm able, but for now, here's my request. Will you email me your personal story of a specific way God has clearly shown up in your life? Big or small, I want to hear an account of the way he made himself known to you and maybe received credit for an answered prayer or a way he worked out a situation in a miraculous way or how he displayed his power in your life. There's no limit to the type of story to submit as long as it's true. So please email me your story at this email address, info at thesavvysauce.com. I can't wait to read your story. Thanks for sharing. With touch, you go between talking about connection above the sheets and underneath the sheets and the non-sexual touch that keeps the pilot light on happens outside of the bedroom a lot of times, how we treat one another and not every touch in marriage needs to lead to sex. In fact, if that does, we're missing out on a lot of fun flirtation. And so can you elaborate on what non-sexual touch is and how it benefits the relationship and the sex life. Yeah. Things like holding hands and massage and kissing. I mean, kissing in marriage really gets less and less with time. When you think about early on in your relationship, there's usually a whole lot of kissing. And as time goes by, it tends to just be a little peck on the cheek or a peck on the lips when you're saying goodbye, or, or maybe you, you kiss a little bit when you're having sex. But I think kissing is such a, a underestimated part. Because one thing that Gary says about kissing, he writes a, a chapter called the five senses of sex. And kissing is one of the only things that you can do that actually involves all of the senses. If you're kissing with your eyes open, I mean, you're seeing, you're feeling, you're smelling, you're tasting. It's like all of the senses, there's, there's sound and there's something so powerful about kissing and, and being more deliberate and intentional with kissing massage, you know, a, a light touch on the back when you're walking by. I mean, 
The truth is, it's so easy to get disconnected in marriage. We have four kids, and we know the reality is that the days of sitting on the couch holding hands looks different when you've got four kids and you're trying to get dinner ready and you're you know, running around getting the kids ready for bed. I mean, the day can go by. And if you're not intentional about touch, and when I say intentional, I mean, I literally have to remind myself to go over to my husband and wrap my arms around him, to go touch his back, to go rub his shoulders, to, to, to grab his hand when we're having dinner with the kids, you know, around the table, when one of us is trying to feed the baby and the other, like we have to be intentional, not just for our sex life, but for the health of our marriage. And when my husband takes the time to come find me and touch me and just to tell me he loves me, my sex drive goes through the roof because those are the type of things that remind you that you're connected that you're in love, that you see each other, that you feel each other, that you understand each other, that you're there for one another. Those are the type of things that in the book we call simmering, you know, these little things throughout the day that keep our hearts warmed up to one another so that we don't have to go from zero to a hundred because we're already feeling that heat, that, that warmth towards one another throughout the day. And that's the part that takes the most work and the most intentionality. Yes. And with that example, I love how you talk about it's easier to go from simmering to boiling rather than cold to boiling. I think that's a great word picture. Yeah. Deborah, what are some practical suggestions or even techniques that you recommend for married couples to enhance their sexual experiences? Well, first of all, one of the things I recommend couples do is just to take some time to enjoy sensual sex. We use that word a lot in our interviews and conversations, Gary and I, as we're talking about these topics to couples. And what the meaning of that is, is don't just focus on the end result. You know, if you're a newlywed couple or you're a couple who's wanting to just renew the fire in your sex life, then take some time just to focus on the prelude, not, not just penetration, you know, get penetration out of your mind, the orgasm out of your mind. Right now you're just focusing on sensual sex where you're just enjoying each other, kissing, touching, getting each other turned on. You know, it's almost like before you're married, you have so much more desire to touch and take time and when you get married, it's like all of a sudden you're just focusing on the end result because that's what you can do. And, and I think there's something really dangerous to that mentality because so much of sex is the process, not just the end result. And this isn't just for a woman. It's for both of you to enjoy the experience, to make it last. And so I would say take some time just to focus on the arousal portion of sex, the first portion, the arousal the foreplay, spend as much time as you can. And, and one thing I want couples to understand is that for a woman, it takes direct and constant touch to get to a point of orgasm. I mean, if you start touching and then you stop for a while, she's going to lose some of that excitement. She's going to lose some of that arousal. So what does it look like to practice that constant and consistent touch 
as you're moving toward orgasm? What does it look like to allow that portion of sex to be the portion that lingers, the portion that you enjoy? Focus on that as the main event. And I understand when we talk about in the book that sometimes there's a place for quick sex, but there's also a place for long drawn out, slow banquet sex. There's fast food sex, and then there's banquet, long lasting feasting sex. And I think it's important to have a place for both in your marriage. And I'm just going to quote you from page 81, because I think you sum it up well. You say, the key to a climax is getting her ready to receive direct stimulation. With every tender touch and gentle stroke of her body, Her clitoris becomes more and more engorged, and her nipples become more and more sensitive and ready to be touched. Don't stop touching and don't give up. Yeah, don't give up is so important because I think too many couples start feeling discouraged. And and if it's taking too long, the, the woman starts to think, oh, no, is it taking too long? Is he getting bored? Those are the type of thoughts that are going to start decreasing arousal. So for the man, you've got to continue assuring her. I, I, I want you to feel good. I am enjoying pleasuring you. I want you to take your time. Relax. This is, I want you to feel as, as good as possible. I want you to feel relaxed. I want you not to have any worry about me because I want to focus on you. I think the problem is, Too many times the man has an orgasm first and then he's not as interested. And so that is where things need to change. You've got to make her pleasure just as important as yours and take the time to pleasure your wife. In fact, I tell many couples, if it's hard for you to stay focused after you have an orgasm, then you go second and allow your wife's orgasm to be the priority and then yours, you know, whoever, whichever party has the easier orgasm should be the one that volunteers to go second, because you want to focus on the person in the marriage who needs a little extra time, who needs a little extra work, um, because that is truly the, the selflessness of sex. That is truly the servanthood of sex is being able to to look at your spouse and say, listen, your pleasure is so important. It's just as important, if not more than mine. And I want you to take your time and enjoy the process. That is so well said. And I think also a lot of times women can compare themselves and their drive to their husband's drive, which is just a different type of drive. And I've heard a lot of women experiencing shame when they feel guilty that one day something that they love and their husband feels like they figured this out, the next time they come together, they may not want that at all. It may be something entirely different. And so I just think God had to have been purposeful in that design, that it does require that conversation and the connection and the relationship to have, like you describe, a wonderful relationship beneath and above the sheets. Yeah, absolutely. And there's no shame in the fact that you change with time. You change depending on the time of the month. If you're ovulating, if you're close to your period, I mean, those your cycle is going to affect your hormone levels, which affect your desire, which affect where you want to be touched. There's no shame in that. That is a beautiful thing. 
And with the changing of your body comes the changing of your sexual experience. And so that is a beautiful thing. And I think um, to, to, to just take ownership and realize there's nothing to apologize for. The only thing you need to do is communicate, not apologize. You just need to share and communicate and tell your husband what you need. Be open and honest about it. Don't hide it and allow him to have the honor of serving you, have the honor of blessing you. That's how we have to see marriage. You know, it isn't a burden to ask something of my spouse. I'm giving them an opportunity to bless me. I'm giving them an opportunity to serve me just like I have the opportunity to bless and serve them. And that is the beauty of a healthy marriage where both of us are kind of working on the pleasure of the other. And in pleasuring the other, oftentimes we find our own pleasure increases. And that's the beauty of how God made this to work when we're doing it in a healthy way, when we're focused on the pleasure of our spouse and they're focused on our pleasure. Oftentimes we find our own pleasure increasing along the way. Well, Deborah, this has been incredibly helpful. Is there anything else that we haven't covered yet that you would like to mention? Yeah, I, I would love to just add that orgasm is not the goal of sex. Intimacy and connection are. And so many times we forget that and we just make it about this release experience but really coming together in sex is about intimacy. It's it's just that coming together, coming together, being one, being united, having that moment of connection and intimacy and closeness, skin to skin, heart to heart. There's something really beautiful about that. And I think if we can really begin to see sex as an opportunity to connect with our spouse rather than just an opportunity to release it gives it such a, a, a deeper meaning and a higher value in our marriage. And so, you know, if anything, take that as the theme as, as you walk away from this conversation. What does it look like for me and my spouse to connect? And how can we use sexual intimacy as just another important aspect of coming together and connecting? And I appreciate you talking so openly about this super important topic, but I know there's a lot more you have to offer. So where would you like to direct everyone to learn more from you if they want to do a deeper dive after hearing this conversation today? Yeah, there's two ways that we, we'd really love to encourage you and to offer you some resources. First and foremost, we talked today all about the book Married Sex. And if you want to get a copy of that, you can go to marriedsex.us or anywhere books are sold, really, to get a copy of that. And it is 80,000 words. I mean, it's a thick book, jam-packed with information. Our hope for this book is that it will be one that you keep on your nightstand and refer to it time and time again, that you read it with your spouse out loud, that you talk through different portions together, and that you practice. The other thing I want to mention to your listeners is that we've got a big conference that we put together in collaboration with the book, and it's over 25 sessions, seminars about sex from different leaders from all over the country, such as John and Lisa Bevere, Dr. Corey Allen, Levi and Jenny Lesko, of course, Gary Thomas and myself. And so many other 
amazing people who are speaking into the subject of sex. They're they're opening the curtain and sharing with you their own experiences and the things they've learned along the way. So every single one of those 25 sessions fall under the topic of sex and intimacy in marriage. And with your conference registration, you get a free copy of our book. So we're so excited about the content that we've released through this conference. You get 12 months to access the content. You can watch it again and again and again. You can learn more about that conference at marriedsexconference.com. And we're just so excited to be able to have the opportunity to give you this information and empower and equip you to have the healthiest marriage and the healthiest sex life. Wonderful. We will link to all of that in the show notes for today's episode. And you know we're called the Savvy Sauce because savvy is synonymous with practical knowledge. And so as my final question for you today, Deborah, what is your Savvy Sauce? You know, I'm a licensed counselor, so my savvy sauce is always boiled down to this. If you want healthy relationships, get healthy standing alone. And in the book, we talk about this concept in a different way, but we say if you want better sex, become a better person (laughs) because so much of our character and our integrity and our ability to communicate and, and connect emotionally All of the things that make us better people overflow into our marriage and overflow into our sex life. So that is the savvy sauce that I am working on constantly in my own life and the one that I think makes the most difference. Well, Deborah, you articulate this profound topic in a way that's honoring and non-threatening and actually exciting. But the labor that is required to produce this book, I just want to say it was well worth it. And I believe it's going to help so many couples. So thank you for being my guest today. Well, thank you for having me and for being courageous enough to have these important conversations. One more thing before you go. Have you heard the term gospel before? It simply means good news. And I want to share the best news with you. But it starts with the bad news. Every single one of us were born sinners, and God is perfect and holy, so he cannot be in the presence of sin. Therefore, we're separated from him. This means there's absolutely no chance we can make it to heaven on our own. So for you and for me, it means we deserve death, and we can never pay back the sacrifice we owe to be saved. We need a Savior. But God loved us so much, He made a way for His only Son to willingly die in our place as the perfect substitute. This gives us hope of life forever in right relationship with Him. That is good news. Jesus lived the perfect life we could never live and died in our place for our sin. This was God's plan to make a way to reconcile with us so that God can look at us and see Jesus. We can be covered and justified through the work Jesus finished, if we choose to receive what he has done for us. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So would you pray with me now? Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to take our place. I pray someone today, right now, is touched and chooses to turn their life over to you. Will you clearly guide them and help them take their next step in faith 
to declare you as Lord of their life. We trust you to work and change the lives now for eternity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, you are declaring him for me, so me for him. You get the opportunity to live your life for him. At this podcast, we are called Savvy for a reason. We want to give you practical tools to implement the knowledge you have learned. So you're ready to get started? First, tell someone. Say it out loud. Get a Bible. The first day I made this decision, my parents took me to Barnes & Noble to get the Quest NIV Bible, and I love it. Start by reading the book of John. Get connected locally, which basically means just tell someone who is part of the church in your community that you made a decision to follow Christ. I'm assuming they will be thrilled to talk with you about further steps, such as going to church and getting connected to other believers to encourage you. We want to celebrate with you too, so feel free to leave a comment for us if you made a decision for Christ. We also have show notes included where you can read scripture that describes this process. Finally, be encouraged. Luke 15.10 says, In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The heavens are praising with you for your decision today. If you've already received this good news, I pray that you have someone else to share it with today. You are loved, and I look forward to meeting you here next time.